0: Many teams have issued statements about the killing of George Floyd and the recent protests. Now comes a statement from the Boston Red Sox, who say racism and their statement is real. But what happens next? From the Global Sport Institute at ASU and Global Sport Matters, I'm Andrew Ramsamy, And this is The Huddle. So joining me now is Julio Ricardo Varela. He's co-host of the In the Thick Show with Maria Hinojosa and founder of Latino Rebels he's also a Bostonian. What's going on, Julio?
1: <laughs> wow. Hey, Andrew, the whole Bostonian thing that kind of threw me off.
0: <laughs> well, you are a Bostonian, are you not?
1: I am. I've lived in Boston. You know, it's funny because when I think about it, I've lived in Boston since college, except for one year in Puerto Rico. So you're right. I've, yeah. been, I've been here for a while.
0: Yeah. Would you say you've been, you've spent the majority of your life in Boston? Let me go through the math Yes. And you just celebrated a birthday. Yes. Yes. I have have to add another year. Yeah. I have to add. So yes,
1: I have, I have pretty much two thirds of my life has been in the Boston area.
0: So yes. So you're more Bostonian than you are Puerto Rican, but you will always be Puerto Rican. Oh dude, you went there. No, I'll always,
1: (laughs) I'll always be Puerto Rican. And the Bostonian thing is, is a good side thing.
0: Julio, we've seen lots of organizations and now sporting teams posting yeah. statements, and I've been, I've been pretty critical of these statements. I mean, they've been very hollow. Uh, some of them sound forced, literally look forced when you watch the video, especially Roger Goodell's <laughs> video. Um, but one statement in particular mm. really caught my eye, and I will say, in the interest of full disclosure, mm. uh, being completely biased, I'm a Yankees fan. Okay. Um, but this statement did not come from the Yankees. It came from your hometown, your home team yeah. of the Boston Red Sox. Yeah. Did you did you get yeah, a chance to read did. it? Did you get a chance to look I, at I'm it? I'm
1: still processing it, to be honest with you, because when I read it the first time. I mean, it how do I put this? It's this notion of now we're going to Address this, right? You know what I mean? As, as opposed
0: to. Yes. But it's yes, the first time publicly, right, that the Boston Red Sox have acknowledged that. I mean, one, it starts off. Yeah, Tory Hunter. I mean, right Hunter. off. Tory Hunter's yes. experience and, is real.
1: You know, take it from us, it happens, right? And then it, you know, talks about these seven reported incidents of racial slurs. And these are just the ones we know. Now, how do I put this in in a lot of ways? I mean, we're in 2020 and, you know, I came to school up here in 86. So there I've dated myself and I've been going to Fenway Park since probably since I was a sophomore in college. So 87. Um, it's, you know, they talk about friendly Fenway um, and all this and how they tried to change their image a couple of years ago. And uh, nothing's really changed. And I'll give you one example, because you're going to love this. So one of my buddies from school in 1989, in 1990, 1990, because we all have to do theses, right? Um, And he got Mm -hmm. funding for his theses, for his thesis, right, To, to go to Fenway Park for a year, okay, and count how many black fans were in the stands. And he wrote a he wrote a thesis about mm. how black fans do not go to the Boston Red Sox. Don't go to Red Sox games because you kind of right. have to, you know, this notion of Boston is still, you know, when people think of the force busing and segregation and the famous image of of the white Bostonian, you know, in trying to impale a black man with an American flag in the middle of the 70s you know, Boston still has a lot of racial baggage. The Red Sox, in general, for them to do this, it's, I personally think, because of its history and the fact that, you know, Willie Mays, (laughs) there's a famous story about Willie Mays, who uh, was being considered to be on the Red Sox, but then, you know, Tom Yawkey uh, was in the, you know, that he uttered a racial slur to the fact that I'll never have any, you know, play for the Red Sox. And actually the Red Sox were the last team in baseball to integrate, which is, which is like, so there's a history, right? So the point I'm making with the statement is why now, right? Why now? And the only thing I can come across, you know, the only real answer I have, Andrew, and I think this is the bigger question about sports and corporations and companies is that there is this fear that this is really going to go after money being made or lost. You know, this is all about now trying to, I personally don't think that this was done with the intent, you know, because I sit here and I want, and I listen to this, I, I read this statement.
0: You want to know whether or not they there. The, the intention is actually real. Despite the fact yeah, that their like, tweet it's says, like, why didn't you real? do
1: this when it happened?
0: Right? Why didn't
1: you do it when, um, you know, when, how do I put this? It's like, I, I, there's so many examples, right?
0: Well, yeah, and it's, it's not Bill, just the Boston Red Sox, know, right? About, I mean, it's a lot yeah, of other But then you think about Bill Russell, everyone, right? right?
1: The Celtics, who was, to be honest with you, Bill Russell in the triumvirate of Boston sports, right? I think it's Russell. Bobby Orr and Tom Brady, right? Larry Bird's gone, but Bill Russell, you know, to this day, you know, when he was, I mean, this is probably the greatest most dominant professional basketball player winner, professional basketball player in his time, a winner with countless titles. He, he saw it, right? He felt it. He felt the racism. And when it, and the notion that the, like I said, I really question the intent of this now. And I, and I look at it because it's like, so what are you doing, Red Sox? Like, let's literally look into this, right? Let's literally look at the team, right? It, you know, you just got rid of perhaps the most dynamic. Ball player on the Red Sox in a while, and Mookie Betts, who is, you know, a black baseball player. <laughs> um who, who right. comes, you know, who comes from like in, you know, from the mid from the south. Um, Mookie was, you know, I love Mookie. And I'm like, oh, here we go. He's gone. Uh the racial history of the Sox, it's like what you know, when Tommy Harper was talking about what was being said behind closed doors about the racism in the 70s and the 80s and, the, and even in the 90s. That, that, it's just, um, it's mind boggling. But I guess my question is, is it because of the pressure or is it because of we need to be ahead of this now because we have had a bad reputation as you know not being racially forward and you know the fact that Tom Yawkey, you know Tom Yawkey, who was the you know the fir- the real first owner of the Red Sox, right? He had Yawkey Way, right? That was a street. That and if you, if you, you know, have you ever been to Fenway? Yep. Or uh,
0: I have not. All right, but so, so, several trips so, to Boston. Have you know, again as the Yankees fan, I there. You, know, you know, this is what I'm going to say about
1: you being a Yankees fan because I can talk about that after. I'm not even talking about that fact that you're a Yankees fan because this is how crazy the statement is. Okay, because I'm not even like acknowledging you being a Yankees fan. But let me give you an example, like down the street, right? So in, in Fenway Park, there's sort of this fan street. It was known as uh, Yawkey Way. And that's where you enter. And they turned it into a place where you can like, you know, get sausages and beer. And there's like, that's where Nesson, that's right. the, the network that, that um, broadcasts the Red Sox. And, you know, there's, you know, ESP, when ESPN was doing a show, like you would see them there. And so it's a place where you congregate. And I, be, I believe like, uh, last, was right. it was last year or the year before, there's always been this notion that Tom Yawkey, uh, was not, it wasn't a notion it was a fact. He was a, he was a very, um, he was a bigot. He was a racist. <laughs> and like He was, he didn't, you know, he, he did a lot of good with the Jimmy fund, you know, well, he did good, but he was a racist white man who owned a team that didn't integrate that, um, was in a segregated city that, you know, it just wasn't a good reflection of him, right? Of, of the city. So there was a movement to change the name. So they changed the name from Yawkey Way to Jersey Street, the original street. And that just happened. And this whole notion of the Red Sox, like this pain of, oh, what do we do? Tom Yawkey, oh, are, you know, they're, they're coming to terms where their racist past, And, you know, the new owners of the Red Sox, uh, Tom Henry, Uh, He also owns the Boston Globe. So I don't know if a lot of people know that, but it's like, you know, the Boston Globe is like the only (laughs) real paver in Boston. And he has one of the top franchises in the world. And I just don't see it because, you know, besides someone like, I'm just trying to think of the history of like black players in Boston. Like, you know, Jim Rice was here for a while, but then, you also had Carl Crawford, who at the time, if you followed what he did, was always seen as like volatile. And they called him crazy Carl Crawford uh, because he wasn't that like he just was overpaid. And that guy, I, I remember I, I was in stands when like, you know, what people said about him because he wasn't, you know, he, he wasn't delivering on his free agent signing. Uh, you thought there were just seven incidents in the statement last year? When Carl Crawford was out there, I mean, I heard it. I heard it from from you know. I was in the stands. I mean, this notion of friendly Fenway is just not even. um, It's not even a concept. I I mean, I took my last year. I but we went as a family, and it's a big open bar. (laughs) I mean, it's a place where you drink. So when you when you're consuming a lot of alcohol, and it's not necessarily a diverse place. I mean, you do not see a lot of black faces at Flanway Park. You just don't, because that was the thing. It's like.
0: Well, and I think that could be said a lot, yeah. for too, for Major League Baseball in general, right? I mean, it has, it has struggled for several yeah. years now um, dealing with the lack of, of of African-American players in the game, despite the fact that it was a place where African-Americans could And it was play. in the
1: heyday, right? Growing um, up in the 70s, like. It, And it's it's like, like I can can rattle off, growing up, I'd be like, there would be teams. I mean, like, look at the Pittsburgh Pirates, look at the Cincinnati Reds, you know, I would think of like, you know, Dave Parker on the Pirates, Willie Stargell, uh, Doc Ellis, like, you know, you can just rattle them off. There were just more and more black players at the time. But this notion of Fenway Park being this sort of like welcoming landmark, um, it's just not true. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, it's, it's like a drunk, it's a no, drunk I, place I where we, like, know, if, know if you're ignorant and racist right. and you're drinking, yeah, it's like, let's go, on right? Down. And like, you the things that you hear. <laughs> right. So, so right. I don't, you know, and, and quite honestly, no one's policing, like the Red Sox are making this seem like they were like, well, we took care of these seven reported incidents, you know, um, although there was a, you know, and, and. It is becoming more common because there was a there was a I think it happened last season for the Celtics that someone was kicked out and banned for life for uh, taunting and, and um, tossing out racial slurs. I forget who one of the basketball players was, but it was a, during an NBA game. So I get it. But I but I also think this is just sort of a window dressing because. You're not asking the tougher questions of like, you know, how many positions in management are of color uh, who, where are your black general managers? You know who? who yeah, you know it's like who are your oh, top? Totally. No, yeah, who this are your is, top is scouts? Um,
0: you know. Oh no! I mean, right, if we right. start so, pulling back the curtains on on Major League Baseball, yes, but I but I think what we, but but I think what's yeah. different about this, and not that I'm again, not that I'm I'm giving, well, I was very surprised by the statement because it was very specific. Many of the statements that we have seen have been, you know, your typical boilerplate diversity and inclusion, you know, we're going to do better, we're listening. And this has a little bit of that. But to be very specific, to be very pointed, that we have not seen. Um, And, you know, to be fair and to be honest, Major League Baseball is never the first one to come out the gates um, with, with the right stuff. I mean, we just saw that Major League Baseball was one of the last organizations to actually shut down um, for COVID-19, right? I mean, they were still doing spring training here in Arizona. I was about to go to a game, um, you know, that week. Um, So not that they're fast, but a place that is steeped in, in racism because it's been a part of Boston's DNA for a very, very long time. And now having this team come out and maybe it is a change of leadership, maybe it is a change of management that is beginning to acknowledge the challenges and issues. And but I mean, again, to be fair, this is a very opportune moment for any organization to come out and say, we, un- we know that there's a problem. We're going to acknowledge that there's a problem. But again, the, the specificity that this statement goes into, which again, not a fan of statements because I believe they're platitudes, but this, is, this one does not seem like a platitude. And if anything, to your point, what remains to be seen, yeah. what they're actually going to do. And, and now that they exactly. put themselves a- on record... For exactly. saying that they know that it's a problem. Exactly. That's what I'm be, saying. It's okay, like, now what?
1: This, it's the now what, it's the what are you going to do? Like we're listening. So so if you're listening, right, let's say, let's say like they say, it's like, okay, we're hearing you, we're listening, right? So what if you are a professional baseball executive who, who is black, who who's been trying to become a general manager, or who has been considered for, you know, kind of become sort of like the checklist candidate you'd be like oh yeah we interviewed diverse candidates but never gets the job right you don't know how these things happen i mean you hear about the people getting interviewed but they never you know they're talking to others are they actively intentionally going to diversify their executive leadership they're scouting um are they actually going to diversify their players are they going to say hey you know what um we're going to look at different paths. Like we, we really believe, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, we're not going to go for the, you know, the, the college phenom. We're not going to try to exploit these black Dominican ballplayers and, you know, or whatever, because that's the other thing about this, you know, one of the greatest black players in the history of the Boston Red Sox is an Afro Dominican. You know, his name was David Ortiz. And David Ortiz, and you know, David ortiz right—had a moment. I, I personally think, you know, I love Big Poppy. I love him to death. He was great. Um, he, he, he did a couple of things to you guys. Um, that to this day, um, a couple of things. But, but one a things of the things about David Ortiz that I, I, you know, and you know when you remember when during the Boston Marathon where he got up and he said, you know, not my F and City. You know, like we were like, ah, um, David Ortiz. Head's is not as like was never political, right? But he definitely filled a marketing need for the Red Sox, right? This amazingly talented winner, a black Dominican, spoke Spanish, everyone loved him, happy Poppy, big poppy. You know, people adored him just as much as they adored Pedro Martinez, another another black Dominican. And but the thing about David Ortiz that I think about now more and more is where, you know, if there was, if, if the Red Sox are saying, well, yeah, we, 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 we acknowledge our past or we listen. And yeah, it's real. Um, where's David Ortiz in all this? Right. Where, where, because he was never.
0: Well, and, exactly. does, and does he see himself as a black Dominican? Or does he right. Right. Or or does he see does
1: being, he go oh yeah, no, there wasn't any racism here, and i'm and I'm, I'm and I'm black, you know what I mean, so that's where i I feel that but because I see the contrast right? right? look at the Red Sox and then look at Jalen Brown for the celtics, right, and Jalen Brown, the player for the celtics, smart guy right, university of California, first round draft pick, kind of an enigma, right, very talented, but he's definitely not. Um, he's not the superstar of the team, but he's definitely you know one of the top players. He was trending a couple of weeks ago because he was, uh, I believe, he was in Atlanta during the protests, and here was Jalen Brown saying, "I am unapologetically black. I understand the resistance. I understand what this means." And what was fascinating about that because I follow, I mean, people like for me like a Jalen Brown story in Boston, which Boston is a big sports town, but it's also a very white sports town in terms of uh, personalities and coverage, because that's another problem of this. There's not a lot of people here who can speak to the statement um, through a lens of color. There's maybe one or two, like Michael Holley, and, you know, who's great, but right. no one's talking about it like this. But the point about Jalen Brown, when he did what he did, I was expecting more of a deeper analysis or a coverage of Jalen Brown in a Boston context. I actually got more from national coverage about Jalen Brown than I did in Boston because I just don't think that you have, you know, race and sports in the city have always, have never really, um, Connect. I'm not connected. They've never really been like spoken together because of because I do think it comes to representation as well. So like you take someone like Michael Holly who's amazing. Like he would bring up race issues, but it you know when you're talking race issues with you know four other white men, you know Michael Holly has a black agenda. (laughs) You know what I mean? Whereas opposed to like, right? I wish like I would love to see like a two hour local boston sports conversation just about the statement about the red sox and and see if you can even have it and sadly you probably can't because there's there's just not it comes down to a representation issue
0: right well wasn't it um was it two years ago the boston globe did this whole oh don't get me don't get me started yes i know it The is boston
1: racist right That the one yeah yes did you you know I went off on that, right? Do you remember that I don't re- no, no no, no well I mean oh, yeah, we were, I, we were friends I, ben, we were yes. friends, but I went on on Twitter, and here's the thing, right this is a typical this is what Boston's all about, and this is why I think even this statement as specific as it is, is still very like. Yeah, no, there's racism. Like we're learning. right? hate where, where it's like, what are you going to do for me? Now? We're always learning. It's a yeah, great yeah. tagline. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly. It's like, what are you going to do for me now? So that that series that you spoke about, it happened about two years ago. It was a seven part series, I believe, and it was you know, it was a big big to do, and the question was, is Boston racist? And for the first six days, it was all about look at all these things that we're finding as if the globe was finally discovering the question where everyone, you know, every black, Latino, Asian, like resident of Boston was like, you're asking Uh, the most obvious question. (laughs) Right. So, So I got into a debate with journalists here to be, I said, I said, you know, the framing of the question is already wrong. What if you flipped it and said, yes, Boston is a racist city and what are we going to do about it? And you turned it around, you turned the focus. So the first day would have been like, yes, Boston is a racist city. And here's all the things we found. And then the next 6 days is like this is what we need to do. What's super interesting about this? I'm I'm glad you brought this up because at the time, even the Boston Globe promised that they learned. They learned. You know what I'm saying? Like we're going to do better. We're going to, you know, we're going to do a diversity audit or we're going to hire more journalists of color and blah, blah, blah. And remember, John Henry owns the Boston Globe. This is why I say this. In two years, nothing's changed. <laughs> I mean, your, your, your leadership, your editorial leadership, it's still all white guys. Maybe there's like one woman. Uh, John Henry's wife is like involved. So, in terms of like actual power deciding or editorial coverage, It's still, you know, Brian McGrory, who is, you know, crusty. He's a a great writer. I mean, he's awesome, but he's also, you know, a white Irish Bostonian. And those come like a dime a dozen here. You know, oh, another white Irish Bostonian in a position of power. So this notion of, oh, look at us. We're acknowledging our racism. Uh, Let's do something about it that hasn't really changed. Like Boston's still, you know, all this big hoo-ha about what happened, like this big series that was praised. And, and the problem, you know, it's funny. It's the problem is that the journalists of color who kind of were like, what are we doing? Like, why are we having this conversation? Why are you asking it like this? Um, we, it was just like small group of us. that have been covering the city and talking about the issues in the city and we were kind of like, oh, no, this is more important. Like, we really want, like, white people to really understand this. So they need to be explained. But I was like, okay, you explain the situation, but what are white people doing? They haven't done anything. I think right now we're still at that phase of coming to terms with what it is. So this statement, again, to get back to the Red Sox is, yeah, we messed up. All right, great. Good for you. All right, great, Red Sox. Like, how do you, how do you get rid of, you know, right. 80, 90 years of systemic racism in your baseball team?
0: Yeah. Well, do you, do, you, do you think that the community will start to police itself? Do you think the way that we've seen people now engaging this phase one of the protests yeah. effectively has come and gone now phase two is like, okay, now let's dismantle, literally dismantle the things that idolize racism with these statues. And we're going to pull that down. Yeah assuming we ever get back to sport and assuming that people go back into stadiums yeah if there are these racist taunts do the people who you know reminds me of that commercial um i, I think it was a commercial that aired in new york but like you know there's a guy who's like eating a piece of candy and the candy dro- the candy wrapper drops to the ground and everyone looks at him and then he like picks up the wrapper and they you know they all go back to to their business is it going to be that where fans are in the stands now having this moment of enlightenment and realizing, okay, yes, I do live in this racist city. And when someone does do something racist, yeah. that they're going to be like, uh-uh, not going to happen. Do you think that's something that could potentially happen in Boston? It could. I mean, it's just,
1: I guess the problem with me is that I, I just know the type of people that go to Red Sox games. <laughs> At least the ones in the bleacher, (laughs) the ones in the bleacher. So, I mean, you could have like the well-intentioned, you know, white liberal from the affluent suburb who's really come to terms with white supremacy and being like, I vow to like fight racism. I mean, but those are easy, right? I mean, if someone's yelling out a racial slur in the middle of Fenway Park and they're like drunk off their ass, um... Oh no! The game is going to stop. Yeah, you know it's like the
0: players are going to turn. Yeah, like it's <laughs> the pretty. They're going to zoom in. I mean, that, in. that's
1: easy. That to me is an easy. Like, oh yeah, great. You you notice someone, and and I think those forms of overt racism are are easy to identify. The ones that I think are just going to be like the ones that the uh, you know the well intentioned people who want to dismantle white supremacy who aren't uh, black are the microaggressions are the ones about when it comes to power. Right. I think that's, that's the big thing for me. It's like, all right, if you're, like I said, if you're committed Red Sox, then you should dedicate yourself to hiring like an all black executive leadership. I mean, it, it, it sounds, you know, when I say it, people are like, Oh, that cannot happen. I mean, if you want to talk about transformation.
0: Right. You know, not, why couldn't it? Why could,
1: that's my point. It's like, you can't right. like, th- so I think what you're going to see is this challenge of the power structure and these moments where organizations are going to get pressured and not just sport sporting or not just organizations in sport. I mean, I mean, NASCAR. Did you ever think that would ever happen with the conf- never
0: with the Confederate? Never, I, I'm, and I and I and I saw it myself personally because I uh, worked at a NASCAR event here in Phoenix at PIR, and and I remember vividly. I was telling the story to someone yesterday that, I mean, this was a flag that was not a small flag. Right. It was a ginormous Confederate flag, you know, flapping in slow motion in the wind. Right as this diesel, you know, Ford F three hundred and fifty, you know, was driving by. And I just, I, I mean, it was the first time that I had seen that image, right. Where you like, you like, Oh, I see, I've seen it in the movies or I saw it in Dukes of hazard, but like to actually see it in real life, physically see it in Phoenix and you were in Phoenix in Phoenix. Right. <laughs> right you're, and like, and, you're like, it's Phoenix. It's, it's that, Phoenix. It's not even um, the deep South. And you see, it. and someone, I was working with someone, they looked at me they're like, are you okay? And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, weird. I'm like, I'm, I'm seeing this for the first time. He's like, oh, wait till tonight.
1: Oh my God.
0: Right. And I and was that, like, I'm not going to be here tonight. He's like, probably, it was probably best that you're not here tonight. But
1: the point, um, but the point being, and Andrew, it's like that one. And also the fact, if you take an Asker, that there's now a car that says black lives matter right and
0: so no i mean look we are we are seeing things that we've never seen before right in the history of things and i think to your point it is going to come down to i mean it's look i mean we we have politicized whether or not we wear a mask in public Mm. Mm -hmm. um tomorrow there will be somebody who will come out and say that their rights are being attacked because they no longer can you know Dem- they can no longer fly the confederate flag at a nascar event right and, and and where you don't see you know and where the the where the confederate flag flies it's not that nascar is putting it up it's the people who attend the events right it's it's the sea of rvs that are parked out there that follow nascar around the country that display that flag right so it's going to come down to nascar enforcing that rule and telling people they can no longer fly that flag and what's going to happen there again we have yet to see any of this because all of the statements have come from organizations or might they might have come from team players but we have not seen the reaction of the fan yeah and And the reaction of the fan is going to dictate whether or not this country actually changes
1: yeah i know and and i you know there's two things that come that i think about just hearing this one is is how organizations and not just teams appropriate the message and, and, and that that's going to be a serious risk. But what do you mean by that? But the fact that like, now it's like being woke is good for business, which I think is a dangerous thing. You know what I'm saying? That, that, Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, it was
0: it, it that that's a it, happening. It, it's like the Kardashian handing the 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 police officer the Pepsi, right? Right, right. exactly. It,
1: like and I think that We're going to see a lot of that. And I think that's and you're going to see it in sports and you're going to see like players talking and I think like that's going to be a problem because when when you get down to it, it comes down to ownership. It comes down even if you look at Major League Baseball ownership, it's it's like NFL ownership. Um there's not, you know, there's not a lot of black owners and I'm sitting here with the Red Sox thinking about this. And I'm like, you don't know want to be transformational, John Henry. Um, why don't you sell the team to like, uh, or, you know, become part
0: owners with, you know, some, a, a, a black billionaire. Like, right. Well, which is interesting, right? Because here, when the LA Clippers went up for sale, exactly. Right, when the whole thing with happened, Sterling. with Sterling, Why wasn't that a moment that that potentially could have become owned by a black owner? I I know. And this is
1: what I'm saying. It's like, people think like this is talking about transformation. And I really believe in the end that this is all about power. This is all about power, trying to navigate itself through an incredible, a national uprising, still trying to treat it with kid gloves. When in fact, when you talk about transformation and dismantling white supremacy, it needs to go so deeper, right? So good.
0: Right. We're just, it's all right now. It's all superficial. All right. right? Good. And again, because we're not playing. Right. Because we're not actually in, you know, we can't literally take any action because there's no action to be taken. To your point, it is a much deeper thing from a management pers- uh, perspective, uh, an ownership perspective. Right. And then at the end of the day, I mean, between the NFL, the NBA and major league baseball, there are only a handful of owners of color. Yeah. And that's, just, and that's, and the I, don't, I don't believe there are any African American owners of color in baseball um, In baseball. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: I, I can't think of any, like I'm going through the 29 teams. And I'm like, but that's my big, that's my point. So like, if you, and if you have to think really hard about it, exactly, right, then, exactly, you know, you have some work to do. But my thing is, that's what you know. People are like, oh, you're tossing out white supremacy too easily. You know, you don't know what that is. I was like, yeah, I do know what it is. <laughs> you know, white supremacy is like the fact that like all these teams are owned by white men, <laughs> or like companies that are you know, and then their their executive leadership is is not diverse, and and it gets to the point, and we haven't even talked about. You know it's not only black players, but I say it you know as a as a Latin American as a Puerto Rican as a Caribbean baseball aficionado, I guess that's the best way to put it it It, it even gets to the point where you don't even have executives or leaders who are even Latin American <laughs> you know when, when you All have right. like you know close to thirty percent of Latin American ball like ball players and major League baseball are Latin American, this cultural connection something's being missed, so in essence, this whole notion of you know, people talk about the NFL as like sort of the plantation mentality. Major League Baseball gets away with a lot more. Uh, they don't they don't get put under the microscope here as opposed to, you know, you don't hear about, you know, it, it's all this focus on. And, and by the way, the, well,
0: and back to what you were saying before, I think it's a money thing, right? I mean, if you look yeah. at what players get paid in in the NFL compared to what why they get, you know, what they get paid in Major League Baseball, which is another reason why I think also, too. African-Americans tend to go towards the NFL because of just the amount of money that they can they can get paid and the amount of time, right? I mean, who wants to do, uh, what is it, 100? 100 162 games. Right, 162 baseball games versus... 18, <laughs> yeah, 18. 18 in, in the NFL, and if you make it to the Super Bowl, you know, like, great, but... Yeah, yeah.
1: But but that's the whole... But the point being is, it's like, I just feel that there's this when you talk about transformation when you talk about challenging power the people that are in power are not going to give it up it's not going to be like oh like the reds actually going to be like oh yeah yeah we're racist story hunter you know uh you know we're good we're going to turn this over to like a, a black company or something you know I and mean? it's like no we should be doing the right, right thing or like you know lebron james actually is part of john henry's like sporting company fenway sports group they actually own he has a minority ownership in uh and that's where we've seen a lot of that right so like lebron james you know is owns part of the liverpool football club and i'm going have lebron james be the owner of the boston red sox how does that what would that mean what if lebron like you know what i'm saying it's like lebron james or what he's like i actually think lebron james for someone that successful uh what he's done, even with, when he did the, gra- like, I feel like he is someone that is looking at like, how do I grab power?
0: How do I, you know, I'm going to get it. And I, f- well, I, I mean, we do have Derek Jeter, right? Exactly. As general manager. And I mean, do we feel that he's done a good enough job in trying to address, I mean, he's biracial, right? So he's not. Yeah. But a, Derek a t- Jeter, Derek Jeter is like
1: safe, you know, it's like, that's the other thing. He is a (laughs) safe. That's the other thing about baseball players, especially like black baseball players. I don't, I don't see black baseball players, even in the time of Kaepernick when Kaepernick was doing it. Um, You didn't
0: see as you don't No, No one, no one in major league baseball baseball player was like, I'm
1: siding with cap or like, you know, baseball has a racial, whereas at least in the NBA, you know you do see
0: yeah. I can't you know we saw players who took a knee yeah we, we saw I, saw, yes. I can't
1: breach sure it's like if the n b a were like they're not right. playing now, but they would have been in the n b a final let's just say right if there was god you know if basketball were happening now, it would be safe to conclude based on previous experiences and previous events, whether it's you know trayvon or Gardner or michael brown um you know people remember the hoodies from from the Miami Heat, you know, when they they all got, you know, they all when LeBron and right. D-Wade and, and, and everyone, like, took photos of the hoodies, we would know that NBA players would be wearing, you know, George Floyd, I Can't Breathe t-shirts while they were that, – that goes without saying. You even see that um, – I mean, I'm an Arsenal supporter. I guess I'm re- revealing too much. But even, like, in uh, the Premier League this week, you see photos of Arsenal players, like, wearing, you know – I can't breathe t-shirts and training or even, you know, in the NFL. But when you get to major right. league baseball, it's, you know, it's, you know, what do you hear? You hear like, you know, I need to get paid for 89 games.
0: Well, and that's what they're arguing right now. Right. I mean, we <laughs> still don't know to this point it's, you know, June 11th, uh, one Pacific time. <laughs> and we still don't know whether or not major league baseball will be playing. Right. Um, right. But that's not to say also too, Julio, and, and maybe this is asking for asking too much, but I mean, all of these players have actua- access to social media. I'm sure if a player called up a news station or an outlet and said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to make a statement and I wanted it to be exclusive oh, yeah, yeah, to, yeah, yeah. you know, that they, they could do something. But do you think that, I mean, because right now they're still in limbo and they still don't know whether or not they're going to be playing and how many games are going to be playing and what the format of the playoffs are going to be that to say anything right now would distract from them just trying to move their own personal agendas forward? Or is it just because the nature of major league baseball has never been a place where, I mean, other than what we saw after nine 11, you know, cause everyone wanted to be patriotic and bring baseball back and, you know, it happened right here in Arizona. But I mean, do you think that baseball tries to remain apolitical as much you know, as possible? It's, it's
1: such a great question because when you think about the history of baseball and you think about, you know, the first professional league, you know, when we think of baseball, right. Who was the sport that was the first, you know, that is the narrative we are told, right. That the forward thinking white baseball owners decided to integrate with Jackie Robinson. And that led to this greatness. And obviously that's a crock because you know, the, the stories of racism and then you had like Kurt flood who actually had a fight as a free agent. And I always wonder if Kurt flood were a white man, uh, it would have been a different story. But you know i I think the issue of baseball as being apolitical is a really interesting one because there is this sort of like American pastime feeling, but I also think baseball's lost its relevance to the n f l It kind- con- you know you're right with nine eleven coming back. I can't think of even in the time I mean I'm sure there were tweets by by players if we looked at Twitter feeds and and things like that. Right. But I don't think at the same level, like I remember LeBron. I remember Kaepernick. I remember, you know, people, you know, NBA players, you know, wearing, I can't breathe shirts. Like I can remember that. I, I, you know, I don't have to think about it. I have to be like, Hmm, I need to research and look into what, what right. baseball players have done. they like, I have to go do journalism. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I, so, so I don't think there is, you're right. I don't think there's this iconic, global moment when it comes to professional baseball. And it's pretty obvious everyone who's like, you know, hockey's coming back, basketball's coming back. The NFL's like, you know, they solved racism at the NFL. Did you hear that? Breaking news. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Commissioner Goodell. Have you spoken to some of the owners? (laughs) Right. They're like, we've solved it. We just um, but baseball is still stuck in this, like, let's talk about money. And it just feels so disconnected. And uh, you just wonder, I mean, you just wonder, you know, because what's interesting about it is that everyone was kind of waxing po- poetically, waxing poetically about baseball during the pandemic on like how people were like, I can't wait to go back to a baseball game because I appreciate life because I'm staying at home. And you know what? It's not, you know, it, it doesn't take that long. It's nice to just be with family for three, four hours and watch a game. That's all out the window. <laughs> that's that's a, that's like that's like that you know that's april you know the news cycle here it goes away so quickly that's all out the window so what is it that baseball wants to hang its hat on right now um looking at its racist past and coming to terms with it and not just saying hey jackie robinson yay yay us um you know i can think of Several examples, not just Tory Hunter, but others, you know, Roberto Clemente just lived in racism, you know, greatest player ever. I'm very biased because, you know, I am from the same island, but he talks about it. I mean, I always wondered, to be honest with you, someone like Clemente, because he died so young, he would still be alive now. I, he's always spoke for racial justice and, and seeing it. He, he really witnessed it as a black Puerto Rican and actually spoke to it. Um, I always wonder if someone like Roberto Clemente were still alive today, uh, whether he would be that voice for for Major League Baseball to be like, wake up, people, wake up. Because it's definitely not right now. At least I can't from what I can tell, it's definitely, you know, I mentioned Mookie Betts, who I love. I don't see Mookie Betts doing anything. I don't see even recent Hall of Famers coming out. I mean, when I mentioned Big Poppy, I know he got shot and he's recovering, but you would think even someone like Big Poppy would be saying you know this is you know black bodies are, are dying underground but you know there is this notion with big poppy that he is beloved in 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 boston and he's beloved by you know boston cops and you know people of color so you know there's a lot of you know, like let me just play the middle lane here and not take a side which is i think sort of how baseball players have kind of acted in in uh, recently even across the course of 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 the, the history of the sport julio yeah thanks for being on the show always I, this was like got so did we get deep enough i mean i i just go we got oh i th- <laughs> i think we
0: got plenty deep. i mean i just was kind of i plenty i can't deep. wait
1: for the first black owner of the boston red sox that's gonna solve that that would be a huge step so mr henry make it happen that's that's the way it changes thanks again thanks julio
0: that was julio ricardo varela host of the in the thick podcast Be sure to download his show wherever you listen to podcasts. The Huddle is a production of Global Sport Matters, the media enterprise of the Global Sport Institute at Arizona State University. Have a question or a comment for the show? Drop us a note on Twitter at Global Sport MTRS. Until next time, I'm Andrew Amsami. So long.